0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again today, and I trust that you are following the series that we are teaching on the book of Romans. We are in the second segment on Romans chapter 5, and we've taught over the last several weeks, if you've not seen those videos yet, you need to go back and watch them. And I will just say at least for the time being that these uh, videos will be on our YouTube channel. And uh, you can access them now on our YouTube channel once we air them for television. They are used on our YouTube channel. And there's also a podcast with the audio portions and uh, there's an RSS feed for your Android device. The easiest way to do that is to go to our website, and hit the link. and It'll take you directly to uh, those pages, and uh, you can uh, listen to them again. And I would encourage you to do that. We may at some point pull this, these teachings, and use them in a online school. But at this point, they are still free and available to you. So if you'd like to watch them, you can you can do that. Uh, We are in the fifth chapter of Romans, and we are talking about uh, the response of faith, first of all, that flows from the fourth chapter of Romans, Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. But we're going to begin reading again in the fifth chapter of Romans. And I'm going to, of of course, uh, I'm reading this from the Message Bible, because I love the flow of how the Message Bible kind of puts it in common language where everyone can kind of, uh, you know, kind of have an understanding of what it's saying. I love how it words it. But we're going to begin reading. This is the fifth chapter of Romans. It says, by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, that is to set us right with Him and make us fit for Him, we have it all together with God because of our Master Jesus. That is a powerful statement that everything that God has always wanted to do for us, that is to set us right with Him, make us fit for Him, uh, we have it all together. But we access this grace by faith. We, We enter through faith. In other words, it is not faith that creates it. We're not believing because we think God is going to do something. We believe because He already has. It's the same way even with salvation. I'm going to say it as bold as I know how to say it. Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's not something He's going to do. That's something He's already done. But by entering by faith into that salvation, that salvation work begins to operate in you here and in the life to come. So it's not like God is going to die on the cross every time, or Jesus is going to die on the cross every time uh, there's a sinner. It is us coming to the revelation that there's a lot of stuff that's been put on our account that we are not accessing because we've not heard the gospel that creates faith in us to believe that I have access. But I love this. I need to read it and, and not just keep commenting on that. But I can't emphasize that enough. This is not an Abraham story. Hebrews 4, I mean Romans 4 said, it's a God story. And in other words, we we've put the emphasis on what we do when we need to put the emphasis on what God has done. And if we put the emphasis on what God has done in Christ, and what He's given to us, and then we look at that, you can't help but have faith. I'm a stronger believer than I ever have before. Once again, I said in the last segment, we used to be famous for saying, well, what do you all believe at that church? And we'd say, well, we don't believe in this. We don't believe you ought to do that. We don't believe. See, if 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 all you have ever taught or learned is what you don't believe in, you've sat in church your whole life and you've become an unbeliever. But when you hear the word that flows from Christ, Faith comes by hearing, and the hearing by the Word of God. But the Word God there in the interlinear Bible is Christos. Faith comes by hearing the Word about Christ. And so when you hear about Him, what a Savior, then you all of a sudden can, your faith leaps up and says, you mean I can have access? (coughs) Excuse me, you mean I'm qualified? You mean I'm accepted in the Beloved? You mean I'm accepted just like I am? Well, let's read on down through here. He says, By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with Him, make us fit for Him, we have it all together with God because of our Master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that He's already thrown open the door to us. In other words, we welcome Him into our lives. To do the work that only He can do because He's already thrown open the door to us and welcomed us in. I covered that a lot in the last segment. We find ourselves standing where we've always hoped we'd stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting out praise. I gotta tell you, man, (laughs) that jerks the praise out of me, man. When I realized how good God is and what He's done for me and accepted me even in my lowest state and when I was not feeling like I was valuable or feeling worthless, He stepped in. That'll make you want to shout His praise and stand tall while you do it. He goes on to say there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. And how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. And an alert and an in alert expectancy such as this, we've never left feeling shortchanged. Matter of fact, quite contrary, he says. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Now that's pretty powerful. You're talking about an abundance of grace, and a gift of righteousness. It goes on to say, uh, Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented Himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we had, hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. Now that's some pretty powerful stuff there. He's telling you that he presented himself as a sacrificial death when we didn't have the power to do it, in other words, He comes to us in our weakest moments. I, I, that, that, that tells me there's nobody beyond God's help today that's listening to my voice that there the grace of God reaches you in your lowest state, in your brokenness, in your broken marriage, in your failures, in your, in your uh, uh, you know, uh, mental uh, breakdowns, in your discouragement that God shows up in the middle of it and says what you could not do for yourselves, I did it for you and I did it uh, even when you were far too weak to do it. And even if you would have known what to do and you could have strived and struggled to try to get it, he goes on to say, uh, he said, and even if we didn't, hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, he says, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put His love on the line for us by offering His Son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to Him. Now think about that. God offered His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God did that by offering His Son for us Uh, and He put His love on the line when we were absolutely of no value seemingly to Him. God did that for us in our worst state. There's hope for you. There's help for you. Now that we are set right with God by means of the sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way if when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of His Son, now that we're at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of His resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say in prodding pose we sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus, the Messiah. Now let me just, let me just, I, I, I don't know if you can expand on this any more than it is, but I, I can't seem to get uh, the emphasis strong enough to show you that if when we were at our worst, when we were at our enemies of God, so to speak, God did something to put us on friendly terms with There's a song uh, that was sung not too long ago called, I Am a Friend of God. God has put us on friendly terms with Him. We are no longer, I think a whole lot of times according even to Ephesians, let me just excuse me just a second. According to the book of Ephesians, the scripture says, we were aliens in our own minds. I'll tell you what God is in the process of doing is bringing us to repentance. And what repentance means is to change the way you think. And what God is changing our minds about is how we perceive Him to be, because what we thought was while we were at our worst, God had rejected us and we were enemies of God and God was ready to strike us dead. But what we see is even when we're enemies, God put Jesus forth as the sacrifice to put us back on friendly terms with Him, and as the first part of this chapter said, to throw wide open the doors, that God would throw open the doors to us to welcome us in. And now He's simply asking us to throw open our doors and welcome Him in, and His action into our lives. He said, now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plotting prose. We sing and shout our praise to God through Jesus, the Messiah. And then he goes on to say, you know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and then no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses, even those who did not sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God. Still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Now let me just show you something powerful here. When, when uh, he's telling you, he's telling you that this goes back, and I think this is an important point to make here, that this redemption that he's talking about is not just to Jewish people who had the covenants of promise and the law of Moses. He's showing you that the redemptive program goes clear back to Adam. And uh, that to me is powerful, because there is a lot of folks right now who are, not a lot, there's some folks that are trying to say that, you know, hey, uh, as a a Gentile, I, I never needed salvation. Well, you could see from Romans chapter 1, and chapter 2, that even though we didn't have the law, we did have the law of conscience, and what he did with Romans 1, 2, and 3, is he said that even when we didn't have the covenants of promise, and even when we didn't have, uh, you know, the oracles of God, and didn't have the uh, rituals that the Jewish people had, that they, he concluded all under sin so he could have mercy on all. In other words, he indicts everything and everybody so that he could conclude all under sin. And the purpose of the law was to spell out how big this abyss was. Now let me just tell you that the issue here, the problem was that not just, uh, uh, it started first of all with Adam, who God said to him, you can eat from any tree that's in this garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat it in the day you eat it, you are going to surely die. Because what happened when Adam ate from that tree, his response to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was, I'm naked, I'm ashamed, and I need to hide. And so Adam runs from God rather than running to God, and this idea of separation from God is what I believe is called death, this absence of life. God is life and light. It's some of the things that He is, there's, there's a couple things in the Scriptures that God is light, God is love, God is our life, Christ who is our life. And so what Adam does is he walks away from the tree of life and grabs the tree of performance. And so even in that garden, what would be symbolized in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, produces death in him. And so he, he gets this idea of separation and he runs from God. But here's the good news, is God chased him out of the garden. But everything that Adam did in his fall, Jesus restored in his redemptive work. I don't know whether I should chase this rabbit, but I probably will. You know, I've shared the story before about how, you know, I have a guy that traveled with me that came from a a crime background, from a Italian uh, mob, mafia background, and, and uh, this guy traveled with me for many years. He's still a great friend of mine. He's up in years now. And, uh, but, uh, you know, when the Lord first put him with me, I, I thought, well, you know, maybe God was putting him with me so that I could mentor him for ministry, but after several years of, of him traveling with me, I could see that this guy's not called to ministry. Not at least in the way that I was. So I wasn't called to mentor him. Uh, but anyway, as he was sharing his story, uh, one time um, among the uh, Six Nations uh, Indian Reservation in Canada, and he was sharing his testimony, and God was just gloriously delivering people throughout that auditorium that night. They were getting setting free from substance abuse and spousal abuse and, and alcoholism and addictions of all sorts, because he'd been through all of that. When he came to evil, uh, you know, he pretty much had a Ph.D. in it. He personally had done it. And so for years I asked the Lord, why did you, you know, why did you uh, uh, put Him with me? And so uh, in that service where He was sharing His testimony, people were being delivered, the Lord said to me, "I, I put Him with you to show people the power of God to deliver from the deepest, darkest depths of evil that's on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I said, Lord, thank You, so that there's hope for people who are in addiction, people who have alcohol problems, children that are uh, a, a mess, uh, marriages that are erected, there is spouse abuse, on and on it goes. That there's hope for that. But as I, he, the Lord said to me, I put him with you, show the power of God to deliver from that. I said, Lord, thank you. I Thank you for sh- putting him with me to be that example. And then the Lord said to me, but I put you with him to show people that I delivered you, sir, from the same tree I delivered him from. Now think about that a minute. I delivered you from the same tree I delivered him from. While he was eating the evil that was on the tree, I was eating the good that was on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God said don't feed from that tree, because what happens when you feed from that tree is you either think I'm too bad that I can't get God, or I'm too good that I've earned it. So I I tell people a lot of times I'm a recovering Pharisee. (laughs) is that we're eating from the wrong tree. And we, we do this in Sunday school. We put up a little tree, we put a little fruit on it. And we say to the kids, hey, go and see, what would you eat? Would you eat from the tree, this tree? Would you go get helping the homeless, feeding the poor, being kind to your neighbor, or, and then we put evil things on this side. And say, which one are you going to choose, kids? And they run up and grab, I'm going to help the homeless. And what we've done is teach them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what the law did, and the law was not, did not produce life. It did not, the end of the law was, there was none righteous. No, not even one. Even if you kept every jot and tittle of the law, you would not have been righteous because righteousness in the new covenant is not, is based on a free gift and not on your performance. But what happens is, is that what happened is that the moment you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you think you can make yourself like God. There are more books on Christian sel- shelves that are coming from the wrong tree, and the wrong covenant, self-help programs that are truly t- feeding people from the wrong tree. And the more, the moment see, it's good to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the I don't mean it's good. Let me rephrase that. When I used to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I did good, as long as I was doing good, I felt like, okay, God loves me, I'm in covenant with God. But see, I never could ever maintain that level of, of intimacy with Him, because I always felt like I'm always falling short. And what we do over American pulpits every week is we preach everybody's shortcomings rather than Christ's triumph. We preach my failure rather than his victory. And so as a result, then we run from God rather than run to God, and death was the result of that. Now let me, i tell you something. Let me just say, the Bible didn't say to Adam, in the moment you eat this tree, you're going to die and go to hell. He said, in the moment you're going to eat this tree, you are going to die. Death is going to come. Death is this, this, this idea of being separate from God who is our source. Because when we come back to the tree of life, we start to feed on His life, that He is our supply, that He is the life-giving gift that God has given us all things, that we are utterly and completely dependent on Him. Without Him there's no light. there's no life, there's no grace, there's no anything. He is my all- in all. And that to me is my repentance and turning back to Him and saying, okay, what the law did was it spelled out how far I had really fallen in my attempt to try to be like God, and death was the result. And death was this thing that empowered sin. Death came, and because death came, people, dead people died and did dead things, if I could say it like that. You know, even my friend, his wife would say, well, you're just dead. And he said, I never could figure out what she meant. What, I was dead spiritually. I was li- li- literally, see, the moment you became alive to sin, you became dead to God. But the moment you become alive to God, you become dead to sin. That's powerful. That's powerful. And so what Jesus came to do through His death, burial, and resurrection was eliminate the power of Death. And while this is a vast subject, and I really don't want to get into it too much because I don't have the time, when you see the latter part of the book of Revelation, especially I believe it is in chapter number 20, it says, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Death and hell, the lake of fire is designed to destroy death and hell. It is God abolishing death. And as you come into the 21st chapter, you will see him say, death no more, crying no more, pain no more. In other words, he has eradicated the problem that came as a result of the fall of Adam. He came to remedy what Adam messed up and to give us this access, and then you see Revelation chapter 21 and 22 saying, again, her gates are never shut. There's wide open doors saying, you're invited to come right in and drink of the water of life freely. And in this city of God, in Revelation chapter 21, there is no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There is only a tree of life. And I have said it over and over and over again. And there's a river that flows out of it, but I've said it over and over and over again throughout my teaching over the years, especially even on television. Adam had a a garden, and he turned it into a graveyard. Jesus took a graveyard, turned it into a garden, It's not an accident that Mary walks up to Him after His resurrection and said, Sir, I thought you were the gardener. He in fact was the gardener. Adam put Him in death. Jesus put us back in a resurrected life. And the power of His resurrection is ours as we access by faith this grace. We enter into what He has already secured for us. And even as we saw earlier, these persecutions and these... uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 pressures that come in life, a pressure is simply, they are trying to drive us not away from God, but drive us back to God. And so what we see is that this, uh, again, let me just read this from, from, from this, this version, or, or let, let, me finish this verse again. Adam uh, is cursed with a garden that will bring forth thorns and thistles, Jesus in another garden wears a crown of thorns so He can give you back a crown to reign. Adam was king. He was God's vice-regent in the earth. He relinquished and abdicated the throne. Jesus restored us back to, that's what Romans 5 is going to deal with as we get on down here, is to the one man we reign in life by one Christ Jesus. That's so powerful to me. But let me read again to you See, you can see how that, what Adam did, again, I want to reiterate, that this doesn't just begin with Moses. Moses spelled out the problem, but it began not with just a Jewish audience, but it began with Adam and the human family. It says, "You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in: First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. In other words, the law was given to conclude all under sin to make you see how much you needed the divine source, which is God, and your union with Him, if you will, and your connection by receiving by faith and entering through the door into our union with Christ. This, so this death, this huge abyss separating us from God dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still hadn't had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. So death was this, this idea of separation, this alienation in your mind. See, I believe salvation is a, simply a recognition and a coming to the awareness and a resurrection, if you will, uh, to understand that God has restored back to us a relationship so that we are no longer separate. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Now, and then I have a note here. Let me read my notes, so because I, I forget sometimes what I put in my notes. I said, note, the work of the law was to show how sin disturbed relations with God in everything in everyone. Please notice that the result of the fall of Adam was not hell, it was death. Remember that the resurrection of Jesus offers us a life. It's the antidote for it. That's why the gift of grace is not the cause of sin, it is the antidote for it. Please notice that the result of the fall of Adam was not hell, it was death. Remember that the resurrection of Jesus offers us a life. The gospel is more than just a trip to heaven to get us out of hell free card. He's offering us the abundant life, literally the life of the coming age. Sometimes we read into the verses stuff that's not there. We try to make it about heaven or hell when it's really about life and death. It's about living the days of heaven on earth here. Perhaps that is the glory that we came short of in chapters 1, 2, and 3. The rest of this chapter declares that He didn't just get us out of trouble. He got us into a life, and that chapter 6 of Romans declares what kind of life we now have. So that is such a powerful concept that what Jesus did was offer us not just a get out of hell free card or a trip to heaven, but He offers us an abundant life right here and right now as because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we learn how to reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Well, we're out of time again. And uh, let me just encourage you, we do need your help. Listen, you know, uh, we don't spend much time on this, but we do need your support to take the gospel around the world, especially now our traveling schedule is ne- nearly what it used to be. And so we do need your support. If you'd like to give, you can go to the website. There's a way you can do that on the, there at the dot uh, com. Also, if you scan the QR code on the screen, it will take you directly to a place where you can give via credit card or debit card through our PayPal window. You can also send a check or money order to the address on the screen, or call the number that will come on the screen, and someone will take your call. God bless you. Join us again next week. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When He uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant.